Let me make sure and say hello, not only to our online community in general, but Facebook Live, YouTube Live in particular. Help me greet those joining us digitally. It's a joy to have you, or perhaps you're joining us on the podcast, on Spotify, or some other archive they haven't yet told me about, or maybe they did and I forgot. Uh, it's amazing to have you with us. Based on a true story. Those words, when they flash across the screen, they change how you watch a movie, or they change how you feel about the movie you've just watched, because sometimes they put it at the end, based on a true story. And now your posture is different than when you were watching The Matrix, or Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, or whatever it was. Now you know what we're about to see took place. And so we're in a sort of different gearing emotionally as we watch 1917 or Schindler's List or even Seabiscuit. We're like, this, this happened, man. This is ridiculous. This is like real stuff here. We're like, wake up, wake up, wake up. This is real. This is important. This matters. This is history based on a true story. We now are a little bit more perked up, perhaps. Well, the story we're about to read is true. It's so outrageous, it feels like it's fiction. But how many of you know that sometimes truth is indeed stranger than fiction? His name is Absalom, and this is his story. He is the most beautiful person to have lived, supposedly, or at least in his day in his country. And at least that's what the Bible says. It says, in all Israel, there was not a man so highly praised for his handsome appearance as Absalom. From the top of his head to the sole of his foot, there was no blemish in him. Jenny, this is the last time I'm going to let you put that on one of my Valentine's Day cards. I just, I'm sick of it, honestly. Just start branching out. You know, it's, there's so many verses you could, you could work with. And you just, every year, put that It's just interesting. But it's weird because it's about Absalom when you write it. I don't understand that. It makes me feel uncomfortable. <laughs> Absalom was uh, the son of King David, uh, perhaps one of the more famous kings to ever sit on the throne in Israel. And he was, as the text says, a beautiful man. He was, he was stunning to, to look at him from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. You, you couldn't find a thing wrong with him. Uh, of course, uh, if you could look on the inside as God sees, you would have seen that he was pretty but also ugly at the same time. And God cares more about the inside than he does the outside. That's what he says in 1 Samuel 16, 7. Looks aren't everything. Don't be impressed with his looks and stature. God judges persons differently than humans do. Men and women, we look at the outside, the face. But God looks into the heart. Our stated goal in this series has been to learn to look deeper, to do better when it comes to uh, what impresses us, what lights us up when we, when we meet someone. We're, we've been looking to find and foster inner beauty. Because Absalom had a beautiful face, but, but he had an empty head. Now backing up, let's, let's get our bearings. Like I said, he was the king's son. Uh, in addition to being really good looking, he was also uh, a man who had amazing hair. Right? Now, I'm not making this up, and I, I wouldn't pick that of anything to, to dwell on, but he did. In fact, uh, it was so amazing, his hair, that it went down in scripture this way. 
Whenever he cut the hair of his head, he used to cut his hair from time to time when it became too heavy for him, as one does. He would weigh it, and after he weighed it, its weight would be 200 shekels by the royal standard. Commentaries I looked into agree that that's somewhere between two, three and a half pounds. So I don't know. I've never weighed my hair uh, to know if that's impressive. But apparently, he got tired whipping his hair back and forth. And so eventually, he would have his mane shorn, and <laughs> someone would weigh it. I don't know why anybody was weighing his hair. I guess it was like the same reason that they weighed Albert Einstein's brain and studied it, right? It was so amazing. Like, what made it tick? We got to figure this brain out, right? It's like, Absalom's hair is so beautiful. We need to dissect it in order to understand it. You think he's born with it? I think it's Maybelline, right? We know, no one will ever know unless we weigh it. So let's weigh it. It's like, all right. Uh, so he was beautiful. He had great hair. What else about Absalom should you know? Oh, here's, here's this. Uh, out of all of David's uh, sons, he was highly favored to be the king after David died. You might say that he was the heir apparent. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Worked hard on that all week. The things I do for you. He was truly the Prince Charming, if there ever was one, the quintessential Prince Charming. Sadly. Uh, he also met his untimely end. And so you could call this character study, this character profile, the life and death of Prince Charming. For as Proverbs says, charm is deceitful and beauty is fleeting. But someone who fears God, that you get to hang on to forever. If all you got is your looks, then what do you have when that goes? If all you have is, is you can work the room and light up people because you have this sort of electric magnetism about you, which is evidently what Absalom had in spades, then, then what do you have when your day in the sun comes and goes? And someone newer, and someone hotter, and someone fresher, and someone willing to be raunchier, or whatever it is in the movies, comes along. And now, having had your five minutes of fame, you're not the... You're not the it thing anymore. What are you to do when you've put all of your investment into the wrong commodities, into the wrong thing? You've invested in a failing enterprise. Well, you're left with nothing. And no one's there to help you in that moment. That's why uh, the Bible says that you, you can do better. You can go deeper. You can not be fooled by charm and not have all of your stock uh, in something that cannot help but disappoint you when it counts the most. Absalom, if, if anyone ever did, believed the lies that charm told. And so in looking into his case, we can hopefully learn to avoid his mistake and avoid his tragic outcome as well. I made a little list of five lies that it's clear Absalom believed. And if we can identify and expose these lies, then we're well on our way to living a better story. Number one, uh, Absalom believed this, I am my looks. I am my looks. So, so what you see in me is what you, you get. And the truth is that this was all over his story. Uh, Absalom was vain. He was proud of how he looked, of how he came across. Uh, but sadly, that there wasn't anything deeper than that. He was what you would call long on image, short on substance. Or as the, the rancher would say, all hat, no cattle, right? He didn't have it where it actually counted. So he believed, I am my looks. Second lie, Absalom believed, 
Freedom is doing whatever I want. He believed that to be free, he had to just do anything he wanted to whenever he felt like doing it, giving into every impulse. One example of this uh, takes place in his life when he was frustrated because his friend Joab was ghosting him, wasn't returning his calls, wasn't returning his texts. Like the thing said, delivered. He even saw the bubbles for a second, right? Like, what the heck? I saw the bubbles. I know you were in there, whether you were meant to or not. You were in there coming for you, right? And uh, Joab never came, never showed up, never sent any messages back. And Absalom was furious. You know what he did? He went and had Joab's field lit on fire, right? That'll get his attention. Oh, he'll, 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 he'll respond to me. I unfollowed him on Instagram, right? He'll know that, right? First, I went and liked 50 of his photos. Then I liked him. How he liked them apples. He just went and lit everything on fire. He's like, just, just went crazy. Why? Because he had no impulse control. For Absalom to feel like doing it was the same as doing it. Now, as small of a thing as that is when we're talking about being ghosted by a friend and overreacting, it also played out in larger areas when he felt like killing his half-brother, and so he did. He had no impulse control. And to have no self-control in the small areas is to have no control in any area, ultimately. Because it's all about principles. It's all about foundations. It's all about fundamentals. So he gave in to every impulse. Third lie he believed, friends, my friends, who are they? They're those who tell me whatever I want to hear. That's a lie he believed. I need to make sure and surround myself with people who will tell me what I want to hear. And what did he want to hear? Anything that would stroke his ego. See number one, I am my looks. I am how well I come across to the world. So I want to make sure that the people around me are putting fuel into that fire. And one example is that he uh, notoriously disrespected and rejected the advice of Ahithophel. <laughs> you weren't as impressed by that. I expect you'd be like, oh, no, not Ahithophel. Because Ahithophel, his advice was regarded as the same as God speaking personally in that day. He was, supposed, he was like the Yoda of the Old Testament, OK? Not baby, old Yoda, wise Yoda. All right, baby Yoda doesn't have any good advice. He's just getting into trouble all the time, right? He's cute, though. I mean, you can't, you can't, you want him around, but he doesn't have good advice, right? In, in fact, Ahithophel says this, this is 2 Samuel 16, verse 23. In those days, the advice Ahithophel gave was like that of one who inquires of God. That's why David and Absalom both regarded all of the things he had to say. So he was the, one of the best counselors. Kings always had cabinets full of counselors then and now, and some better than others. But uh, Ahithophel was uh, uh, one of the best. His mind like was like a computer playing chess with 50 people. It was like, duh, you're scary, Ahithophel. This guy's ridiculous. Whatever he says, just do Ahithophel's way, right? And, uh, and when it came down to one of the most important decisions of Absalom's life, Ahithophel gave him what would have been the game-winning strategy, empire Absalom style, right? Had he just listened to Ahithophel, but he didn't because he was confounded by Hushai the Archite. Oh, yeah, this is getting real thick, 
right? Hushai, the archite, was on David's team. And uh, Absalom was David's son trying to kill David. So they had some family drama, right? They need some serious therapy, all right? OK, this is, this is some cray-cray stuff from the Old Testament, all right? But basically, Absalom's trying to kill his dad, take over the kingdom. Uh, and Ahithophel used to work for David, but he turned on David when Absalom staged his rebellion because Ahithophel was also, this is drama, Bathsheba's grandfather. And he had kept record of all that went down when Uriah was killed and Bathsheba was repossessed, OK? And so he, was, he kept working for David for a while, but he was looking for his opportunity to stab David in the back. And so when Absalom staged his rebellion, it was like big drama in the press that Ahithophel's on team Absalom. <gasps> and Hushai the archite was going to go with David when he was on the outsville running for his life, 2.0, because he had already been through this. He ends up in the caves again, been there, done that. There's already the tick marks on the wall from when he was living in there, talking to Wilson when Saul was trying to kill him. Now his own son's trying to kill him, as opposed to his father-in-law, who was previously trying to kill him when he was living in these caves. And so here's the crazy part. Hushai says, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to be your guy. He was also one of the king's counselors. But David said, no, stay here. You can do more for me on the inside. Try and do something to subvert the advice of Ahithophel. And Hushai's thinking to himself, no one's going to not listen to Ahithophel, listen to me instead. But David said, I'm going to send up a prayer that God will confound the advice of Ahithophel so, Dave, so Absalom won't listen to it. So Hushai goes, I'll try. So he goes in. And after listening to Ahithophel's masterful plan, Hushai's like, I'm screwed. That's a great plan. It's a really good one. So instead, what he goes is, I can't beat him fair, so I'm just going to appeal to Absalom's vanity. So while Ahithophel had said, look, we need a surgical, precise, small, tactical response. It'll get the job done. Hushai went bombastic. Hushai, Hushai went crazy. No, 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 no. Your dad is like a bear robbed of its cups. Now he's going to get Absalom kind of on the, well, I'm a bear too, right? Because he's making David seem like this. You can't go in like that. He'll eat your soldiers up for lunch. You need to build the biggest army the world has ever seen. And then you shall go and David shall feel your mighty wrath. And when you lead them in, you will have your sword out like this. And you will have a real wide stance while you <laughs> ride across the river. Like, and he's like, there's not even a river. It doesn't matter. Absalom's like, yes the river. And then he goes, your hair will be flapping in the wind, Absalom. No one will ever. Your hair, the locks of your hair will scare your enemies. They will live in fear. And then he says, whatever town he's holed up in, we will drag that city away with ropes. Yes, I like the sound of that. Absolutely. Is that even a thing? You drag, you ever heard of a town being dragged away with ropes? Well done, Hushai. And the academy goes to Hushai, the archite, best BS battle plan. <laughs> and so Absalom goes to Hithophel. Yours was good, his was better. <laughs> and he did not listen to Hithophel, who promptly went home and killed himself. Wow. By the way, he had his own little thing about preeminence being his source of identity as well, issues to unpack for a later sermon. But basically, the bottom line is Absalom only wanted to hear what he wanted to hear. And he didn't want anybody in his circle who wasn't willing to make his inflated ego feel good. That's because he believed a lie. And the lie went like this. My friends are people who tell me what I want to hear. Lie number four. When I want to get something done, I need to take matters into my own hands. If I'm going to get from here to there, I need to look out for number one. So that means whoever's in my way, I'm going to crush and conquer. 
I don't care if your fingers are on the rungs of this ladder. I will step on them on my way up. If I have to use you and then burn you and then forget you ever existed, fine. It's a dog-eat-dog -dog world, and I will get the job done. Because I'm Absalom, world, and hear me roar. That was Absalom's life plan. Uh, he was a marketing genius. He had a flair for, for, for publicity, and he knew how to work the room. Uh, he was also the consummate politician who hadn't ever really done anything except for be famous and be royal. And that was enough to work to his advantage. There's a great little passage I want to read to you. This is 2 Samuel 15. It says, in the course of time, Absalom provided himself with a chariot and horses and 50 men to run ahead of him. He didn't have a, like a post or anything he really ran. But you know he was coming because there was just 50 guys running ahead of his chariot. Like, whoa, man, that guy looks important, right? It's like, where's he going? I don't know, but he's going there in style. Right? Then, then came behind the lowered Camelac Escalade. It was coming in. And, and uh, that one's been getting mild last for 13 years. And so we have in him someone who just really like, made you feel like he was somebody special. And it says in verse 2, he would get up early and stand by the side of the road leading to the city gate. Whenever anyone came with a complaint to plead before the king for a decision, Absalom would call out to him, what town are you from? He would answer, your servant is from one of the tribes of Israel. Then Absalom would say to him, look, your claims are valid and proper. Too bad there's no representative of the king that's here to hear you. Because, man, you're, you, you seem right. I bet, I bet if the king wasn't so busy... He would listen to you, and it would be a great case. Sadly, he's not. Verse 4, and Absalom would add, if, if only I were appointed judge in the land, then everyone who has a complaint or case would come to me, and I would see that he gets justice. Friend. He's so wormy. Oh, verse 5, also, whenever anyone approached him to bow down before him, because that was official protocol in that day, Absalom would reach out his hand and go, no, 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 brothers don't, brothers don't shake hands. Get over here. Brothers hug. And he was, he was basically trying to say, my dad's this royal, untouchable, elite figure. I'm a man of the people. I just want to get down to the level of the common person. They'd be like, let's go to eat, Absalom. Should we take you to the... Steak restaurant at the Hilton? No. Let's go to Burger King. I love a good whooper as much as the next person. <laughs> just trying to really feel blue collar. That's what Absalom was trying to do. I'm just, I'm just, I just love to, what do you guys like to do? Let's go build things out of dirt, right? Just trying to really be relatable. Just trying to really, you know, make sure they knew he was one of them. He wasn't like those, those stuffy elites. No, no, no. Absalom behaved in this way toward all the Israelites who came to the king asking for justice. And notice this. And so he stole the hearts of the men of Israel who were trying to follow the one God appointed. And now he was trying to redirect that to him, doing whatever he needed to do to get that to happen. He wormed his way in. Of course, David and his team is doing the best they can to look over the needs of a country. Real easy to not do anything but to sit around saying, if I was in charge, we'd be, be, be way better than this. Now, how would that work exactly? 
doesn't matter. I just get to tell them that. I don't have to actually look out for anybody. I just get to say, your case is just. What's your problem? Well, I, uh, I, uh, I stole uh, my neighbor's uh, whole, whole home, stole it all. <laughs> Sounds like he had it coming to me. You, you, that's what I've been telling everybody. Well, did the king hear you? Yeah, the king said I shouldn't steal. Ooh, he would say that. It's like, what in the world? How easy to stand there and to take shots at someone doing something and say it would be better if I was in charge. How convenient, Absalom, to be able to do that. I don't know about y'all, but I just decided a long time ago, I'd rather be a part of the solution than to be the one, someone taking shots at someone who's actually doing something. I, I just want to live my life actually contributing and not sitting at the gate <laughs> saying, it'd be better if I was in charge. Well, what are you actually doing? Didn't Teddy Roosevelt say, it's not the critic that counts, but the person who's actually in the arena, marred by dust and sweat, making mistakes for sure, but on the way to contributing something to the world, than to stand back and to try and tear away something that someone else has built? No, Absalom thought, I need to take matters into my own hands. And it doesn't matter what compromises and what half-truths and what lies. Absalom didn't care for any of these people. They were all pawns to him, a means to an end, something between him and, bear, and, and, and having more power. And the moment he got it, he would turn on them just as quickly as he turned on anybody else, because he believed this lie of the ends justifying the means and him needing to, to hurt and break on the way to making things happen. Lie number five, although we could have made a much longer list, is this glory and fame will bring me happiness. It's very clear that Absalom had an insatiable need for, for more fame. What, 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 how do we define more fame? More than I currently have. All right. What are you going to do when you get that? Get more. What, what, what then? Well, I don't know, a little more than that. And here he is, his entire life, trying to get more. He's already born blue-blooded, royal family, unlimited power, can do anything pretty well he wants, and he only wants more. Here's why it will never be enough. There's not enough Instagram followers, dollars, horsepower for a truck. There's nothing in this world that will ever cause you to put your hands up and go, you know what? That's enough. You will always be looking for more. It's like that interview with Tom Brady. Which Super Bowl rings your favorite? He said, the next one. It will never be enough, not for any one of us. That's because the human engine doesn't run on fame and power and sex and money and getting high and getting paid. It's meant to run on God. That's the only fuel. The thirst in our hearts can't be satisfied with water found on this planet. It can only be satisfied with living water, agua de vida. And you're like, well, I don't know. You're stretching this all. Absalom may have tried to get more, but that's natural. How do you know he actually thought that, that fame and happiness and glory would, would, would quench the ache in his soul? You're stretching things. Oh, really, am I? What did he spend his hours doing when he wasn't standing at the gate trying to convince people to follow him instead of his dad? Oh, that's right. 2 Samuel 18, verse 18. During his lifetime, Absalom had taken a pillar and erected it in the king's valley as a monument to himself. For he thought, since I don't have a son to carry on the memory of my name, and he named the pillar after himself. This is a great pillar. What are you going to name it? Me, because it's the thing I love the most. Really creative. He named the pillar after himself, and it is called Absalom's monument to this day. His only desire was to be remembered 
to be important because that is where his identity was rooted and anchored. He could not see further than himself, for he was his own God. It was uh, and has been well said over and over again that you can't break any of the commandments, the Ten Commandments. You can't break any of them without breaking the first one. Thou shalt have no gods before me. And the reason you would lie or steal or murder or, or commit adultery, any of the other sins that you would commit, is because you have already broken the first one and you've put something else in the place of God. And for Absalom, literally picture him. It's a chilling scene, picturing him with all that he had, it not being enough, now making a monument. Why? He had a God before the Lord, and it was him. And therefore, it made sense to him to do everything else he did in service of that God. If your God is the Lord, you'll live your life out to worship him. If your God is any other thing, then you will do whatever you have to do to worship your God with your life on this earth. There's five lies. How did it work out for him? Let's just spoil it on to the end. Let's just get right to the end. It ended for Absalom badly, badly, because those who worship idols become like them. Whatever you worship, you're on the way to becoming like. Worship Jesus, become like Jesus. Worship an idol, become like an idol. What's an idol? A dead thing, an inanimate thing, a frozen thing, a slaved thing, enslaved, in bondage, locked up, can't move. That's what we become when we worship anything but God. We become stupid, and it ends in death. 2 Samuel 18, uh, verses 9 and following, it says, Now Absalom happened to meet David's men. He was riding his mule. And as the mule went under the thick branches of a large oak, Absalom's head got caught in the tree. He was left hanging in midair while the mule he was riding kept on going. It's not a great look. Uh, it's sort of sad and pathetic as he's just dangling from this tree by his hair. When one of the men saw this, he told Job, I just saw Absalom hanging in an oak tree. Right? It's the darnest, it's the darnest thing I ever did see. Right? You know that guy who's trying to kill us? He is a block back there just hanging from an oak tree. I, just <laughs> I love the Bible. I'm just going to just go ahead and say it. Anybody with me? Like, it's just amazing. Joab said to the man who told him this, what? You saw him? Why didn't you strike him to the ground right there? Then I would have given you 10 shekels of silver and a warrior's belt. Warrior's belt? You did say? But the man replied, even if a 1,000 shekels were weighed out into my hands, I would not lift my hand against the king's son. Because in our hearing, the king commanded you and Abishai and Ittai. Oh, by the way, Ittai's awesome. When you read this Bible this week, 2 Samuel 14 through 18, you're going to read about it. Ittai the Gittai. I, I swear, I'm going to preach a whole sermon on Ittai the Gittai someday. It's going to change your life. Ittai was a BA all the way. All right? <laughs> Amazing. If that offends you, this is the wrong church for you. All right. So I have to say stuff like that every once in a while just to clear the pool from the religious people. All right. <laughs> The king told us all, including Ittai and Abishai, protect the young man Absalom for my sake. And that doesn't just warm your heart. He's launched a rebellion. He's doing all this. But for the father's heart is still for the son to be restored. And if I had put my life in jeopardy and nothing is hidden from the king, you would have kept your distance from me. He said, if I had killed him hanging from that tree and the king was mad, you'd be like, that was his fault, right? You wouldn't be giving me no warrior's belt. Verse, this is just real, right? You just know the Bible's not made up. They just include so much humanity. It's like it's us involved in it, right? Joab said, I'm not going to wait like this for you. So he took three javelins in his hand and plunged them into Absalom's heart while Absalom was still alive in the oak tree. 
And then 10 of Joab's armor bearers surrounded Absalom, struck him, and killed him. In case the three javelins in his heart didn't kill him. Jeez. Unnecessary roughness. Flag on play. Verse 16, then Joab sounded the trumpet, and the troops stopped pursuing Israel, for Joab halted them. They took Absalom, threw him into a big pit in the forest, and piled up a large heap of rocks over him. Meanwhile, all the Israelites fled to their homes. Sad ending for a charismatic, gifted, good-looking individual born of a royal family with a spoon in his, a silver spoon in his mouth. He had everything going for him. But in the end, it all turned against him. And what was the greatest symbol of his pride, his beautiful hair, became the ridiculous source of his downfall. But didn't Jesus put it this way? Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Not might be humbled, because pride leads to falling. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Sermon in a sentence. Whatever you get caught up with, you'll get caught up in. When we don't do what God's calling us to do, we'll end up inevitably caught up with something, caught up with something, focused on something, preoccupied with something. And if it's not what God wants us to do, what's going to happen is like Absalom dangling from the oak tree, we'll get caught up in what we caught, got caught up with. So what do we need to do to avoid this outcome? Because it's, it's really easy to throw shade on Absalom, right? But the, the more sinister reality is that if these lies could spring up in his heart, then what lies are springing up in ours? Because even Jesus Christ, the perfect God-man, had Satan whispering lies into his ear. And the devil can't make us believe anything, but he has been and always will be bringing lies to people, trying to get us to bite on the bait that he's dangling in front of us. He did it ever since Genesis 3. So what do we do? We always combat lies with truth. We have to expose the, the lies in order to identify them. Then we meet them with truth from God's word. And then we believe the truth instead of the lie. You can't delete a lie. You've got to replace the lie. This is what Jesus did. The devil said, do this. He didn't just go, no, 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 la, 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 right? Because the only way to think about pink elephants is? Exactly. And so what do you, like someone, someone didn't get that. Like, what do you mean? I don't get it. Um, so what, what Jesus did was he replaced it with truth from God's word. And so we must do the same. So let's go back through our list. This is what we worked at. This is what we spent our time with today. And now let's do a little editing. We say, I'm my looks? No, I am not my looks. And we're going to realize I'm more than that. I'm not just body. I'm soul. I'm spirit. There's more to me than what you can see. There's something on the inside. So I'm not just going to focus on what represents only a portion of me. My looks matter. Bodily exercise matters. There's biceps great, right? Waist, dress size. But that's not me. That's not who I am. I am more than my looks. I'm more than my appearance. I am more than my clout or social media status. I have depth inside. I'm not going to ignore that. I'm not just going to look at what can be seen. I'm going to look at what can't be seen, because Corinthians says what can be seen is temporary. What can't be seen is eternal. And I'm not going to spend my life focused on what is not going to last forever. So I'm going to look at myself in the mirror, and I'm going to choose to look at you and my family and everyone I meet in faith as God sees them with boundless potential, created in the image of God, with a plan for their life meant to unfold. 
I want to see the angel on the inside. And so I'm going to combat that lie like Absalom should have, knowing that godliness means more than giftedness, knowing that character means more than charisma, knowing that what is happening in here matters more than just what's happening out here. Number two, our lie we saw was that freedom is doing whatever I want. That's false. That's a lie. Freedom is doing what God wants, regardless of how it feels in the moment. So I can have an impulse. I can have a feeling. I can want to light a field on fire. Why didn't they text me? Why didn't they invite me? Why didn't they tag me? And I can want to light a field on fire. I want to react with anxiety. Want to, to lash out at somebody when I feel like I've heard or I didn't get my way. But I can choose to go, hey, in this moment, it's not my will. It's thy will that matters. I'm not going to do what I want to do. I'm going to do what God says I can do. I'm going to choose to obey regardless of how it feels. Proverbs says that someone who has no control over their own spirit is like a city that's broken down that has no walls. In the ancient world, you wouldn't want to live in a city that didn't have walls, because anybody could come in and take what they wanted and run off with it. But sometimes we live that way, with no walls protecting us. No control over ourselves. So someone provokes us or tempts us or irritates us, and we either lash out or sin or compromise. Why? We don't have self-control. And anybody that brings any stimulus in essentially becomes our boss. Hey, get your goat. Well, it's their fault. They, they triggered me. No, no, you let yourself get triggered. If they keep getting your goat, why don't you tie your goat up somewhere else? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Why? They, well, they pushed my buttons. Well, put a panel and a padlock and it lock off your buttons. You don't have to keep your buttons open to the general public. Right? You got you to take evasive action. You got to choose to control your spirit. Pastor Brian Houston puts it this way. My spirit, my responsibility. I can't control you, but I can control my response. And I can choose to honor God even when you don't. I don't, I don't care if it feels right. All I care about is whether it is right and whether it's what God wants me to do in the moment. We believe in our culture a very narrow definition about freedom. We kind of hold freedom up as this wonderful virtue, right? It's a thing to be worshipped almost. Freedom is what? Well, it's doing whatever I want. No, because you can be enslaved to your desires by doing whatever you want. So freedom, let's open up the definition. Another aspect of freedom is not just that you have the ability to do what you want to do, but that you also simultaneously have the ability not to. You are not free if you do whatever you feel like doing. And you compulsively go to whatever your vice of choice is without any restraint at all. If you can't not do it, then you're not free in it. And so we need to be set free in the midst of it. Third lie, and we'll edit it, friends are people who tell me what I need to hear, need to hear. A true friend stabs you in the front and tells you to your face, this ain't good. And you need to surround yourself with people who are willing to protect you from you. David knew this. That's why David, even in the day that Absalom came in against him, we're told that David was prepared to lead his men out to battle, as he always did, You know, just going out with the men. And his guys were like, dude, I know, sir, you know, phew, we, we don't think this is a great call. He's like, no, I'm ready to go. My whole life, I've been one of the mighty men. And they're like, look, and it's really touching. They say, you're worth 10,000 of us. 
It's just such honor from them. And they say, we know you're willing to lead us from the front, but we think it's better if you're willing to lead from the back on this occasion. Because they take you out, this whole kingdom is over. And so David had men who didn't just, well, if he wants to leave, we're going to they were willing to say what would have been a hard thing to him and to protect him from him. And this is characteristic, characteristic of David. Even on the most difficult day of his life, when he blew it in a major way, and a prophet had to come to him and tell him hard things, he responded to that voice of authority in his life and repented and yielded. And he didn't do it perfectly, and none of us will. But we should build a life where people can come to us and tell us, here's an area that's holding you back. And we should welcome that. We should want that. We shouldn't buck up in the midst of that. Look, easier said than done. But some of the best growth opportunities have come from difficult conversations in my faith journey. When I have yielded to people who see things that I don't see and can help me understand ways in which I'm stunting my own growth. And so we should crave that, be grateful for that. The Bible says uh, to, to react harshly to a spiritual authority who, who points something out in your life lovingly, to, to fight that is to harm yourself. And it's for your good that God has given you people that are small group leaders and pastors and, and people who have authority over you who are, who are there for your good, trying to help you. So don't make it hard for them to help you, is the moral of the story. But Absalom, he insulated himself from anybody who told him anything but what he wanted to hear. So we need to fight against those lies. Fourth lie, Absalom believed, I need to take matters in my own hands. Well, here's the truth. I need to trust matters into God's hands. Leave the outcome up to him. My obedience is what I'm going to focus on. The outcome is always God's oversight. I'm just going to trust God and what happens. If I perish, I perish. But I'm not going to sin to bring about something that I would say is the ultimate greater good. This is Esther. If I, if I perish, I perish. I'm going to do what God's called me to do. I'm going to leave it with him. This is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Bow down to this God or die. Whew. Your honor, go ahead and kill us. Because we're going to obey God, whatever happens. And what, how did that story end? With them being promoted, with them being exalted. So to those who would say, look, it's a doggy dog world out there. If I don't you know, be willing to, to step into the gray and just cut some corners and do this, I'm never going to get ahead. I'm telling you something. This whole thing about the, the good men or good women finish last, here's a better one for you. God's people finish first in the final analysis. You'll never, you'll never long-term regret honoring God in a moment, even if it costs you in the short term, in the long term, in the final analysis standing before God, you would, you would be happy to go back a 1,000 times and do things God's way. Because when a man fears the Lord, God has a way of even making his enemies to be at peace with him. So, so the shady, unethical things that we're tempted to do in a moment, thinking, well, it's for the greater good. No, it's not. Honor God. Leave the rest to him. I'm going to leave matters into God's hands. David modeled this. Even on the day he was being driven out of town, because it's so rad. I, I hope this week you read 2 Samuel 14 through 18 and read this whole thing. Well, if you want to read about the murder of Amnon, his half-brother, you can read 13 too. But basically, uh, you're going to read this part where David uh, hears that Absalom and all these soldiers, because Absalom did so good at pressing the flesh, he had this huge army, kill the beast, kill the beast, kill the beast, coming to kill David and take over the kingdom. Um, and he said, you know what? Let's leave the city. I don't want innocent civilians to get trampled over as we barricade ourselves in and they try and force us out with all these hostages. You know, I love these people too much. He was a real shepherd. He cared about the sheep more than himself. 
Let's just go. And they went off to the wilderness, and David was good at that. And, uh, and everyone, all his, all his people were like, we're coming with you. And he had his soldiers that were going to go with him, of course. But there was also people like Ittai the Gittite, my guy. And he wanted to go with David. And it was like, nah, man, go back. Stay. You're good. You just got here. You've been, they had a rough life. Just here. Ittai's like, freaking out. I'm going with you. I'm going to kill for you. I'll cut anyone who comes near you. David's like, cool, roll with me. You're crazy. Come on, let's go. So Ittai and his 600 roll with David. This guy was awesome. He had that kind of like, you know, uh, spirit of Ruth in his life who, 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 who her mother-in-law was like, just go back to Moab. You'll find someone to marry. She's like, it, your God shall be my God and your people shall be my people. I roll deep. And uh, you want someone like that along with you, you know what I'm saying? And so Ittai comes, and then, and then Hushai tries to come, and David's like, no, I need you to go screw with Ahithophel. And, and then, then these priests come, and they got the Ark of the Covenant with them, bro. And they're like, we're going with you. We're bringing God with us. He's like, no, my gosh, no. Take that back to the temple. Someone's face is going to melt. Stop it. No, go get that. Get, no. Get, well, it was in the temple. It was a tabernacle. But it's fine. It's just get that back to where it goes. <laughs> they were like, we're bringing, we're bringing God with us. He's like, stop it. God's got this under control. The people are going to need a place to seek after God. The showbreads that keep that. How cool is David? He's not thinking of himself. Why? He trusted God. Let's leave, let's, leave, let's leave the outcome to God and let's just obey him. Anybody with me on that? And the sad thing is, what Absalom was murdering, stealing, deceiving in order to get was what was always going to be his. Because it was clear to everyone he was going to be the throne. He, he was in his own way. He was the only one who could. Absalom's greatest problem was Absalom. All right, last lie. Here's the truth. Glory and fame will not bring you happiness. God's glory will, though. It's seeking God's glory, not trying to take your own glory, that brings you actually what you want to have. This pillar couldn't fix the hole in his soul. That's because to, to try and get fame, uh, because we, we like the feeling of it, is like what Proverbs says about honey. It is not good to eat too much honey. So to seek one's own glory is not actual glory. It makes you sick to, 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 to eat too much of a good thing. But a little bit of drugs never satisfied anybody. So what do we crave? More, 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 more. And so then eventually a sickness sets in deep inside the soul. It's the same thing when you try and fill your heart up with, with glory and fame or anything on this, on this earth. And so in Absalom, we have this example of, of what God wants us to do. Spot the lies, combat them with truth. And what will we have if we've done that? We will have a life based on a true story, on a true story. Some of us are struggling because we're living on a made-up story, a false narrative that's been crafted in our head with the help of the enemy who wants us to believe that, that, that anxiety gets to prevail or that cancer gets to prevail, that insecurity gets to prevail, that loss gets to prevail, that being abandoned at some point or betrayed at some point or forgotten or overlooked at some point is the story. And he's whispering in our ear, trying to get us to try and leave God's way to get what was already ours. Adam, Eve, eat this. You'll be like God. If I could talk to him, I'd go, you are already made in the image of God. What he's trying to get you to disobey to get is what you already have. Just stay on God's side. But we do the same thing. We believe wrongly, and it leads to 
a, a, a life that has no stability. Because wrong thinking always leads to wrong living. So we got to make sure our life is, our decisions, our, our, our everything is based on a true story. In 2010, a woman who was 23 years old met her mom and dad for the first time. It was at that point, 2010, that she realized everything she ever thought and knew about life was wrong. She grew up in Bridgeport, Connecticut, and her name was Nedra Nance. And this was her mom, and this was her dad, until one day she realized, as she looked at a DNA test she had just taken, that her mom and dad were this other couple who lived in Harlem, New York City. And she, she was in such upheaval. She had had suspicions, like when she was a teenager and she needed a birth certificate for something and her mom couldn't find it. She's like, that's weird. And then finally, when she was in her 20s, she's like, I really need my social security card and birth certificate. And her mom finally gave her one. But when she tried to use it at a hospital, they told her this is a fake. Mom, why is this a fake? And her mom finally, at that point, age 20, said, well, here's the deal, honey. You're adopted. Your real mom is a drug addict. And she didn't want you. And so I took you in, but there was no paperwork. It was just an act of mercy for, for someone in need, struggling. So I took you in, and that's what happened. Something didn't sit right with her. Why would you wait so long to tell me this? I'm having my own daughter now. So she went on Google and started looking into it. And she ended up through a series of websites on the database for the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. She started to look up images of babies who were reported missing from the same year she was born, 1987. She couldn't believe what she found from a mom and dad in Harlem, New York, who had posted a picture of their little girl who had lost, been lost, and it was identical to what she looked like when she was a newborn baby. The pictures that her mom had of her from when she was one month and two months and three months old, identical to this little girl. Now, this mom and dad had 19 days old of their baby's life, 19 days into this little girl's life, taking her to the hospital because she had a fever of 104. And while she was being hospitalized, being treated, someone posing as a nurse had run off with this little girl. And for 23 years, they held out against all hope that someday their little girl would come home. And only when she realized that what she was living was a lie, that her name wasn't Nedra Nance. It was Carlina White. Her mom and dad weren't these liars in, in New Jersey, or in Connecticut, rather. There were these people who were hurting and wanting their daughter to come home in New York. Only when she, her life was based on truth could she actually move into her future with, with a right heart. And that is exactly what God wants us to see. 
The enemy who is a thief and a, and, a, and a murderer and a liar from the beginning has lied over our lives and told us half-truths and mixed things up. And he's trying to get us off from what God wants for us. But Jesus Christ came and shed his blood. Why? Because the Father in heaven never lost hope of you coming home, of me coming home. And when our life is based on truth, when we know our true name, our real identity, we weren't created for sin and emptiness and heartache and despair, then death is not what our life is based on. And gratifying our flesh is not what our life is based on. But now we're positioned and postured to bring glory to God, to do what we were created to do, to have a seat at the family's table, to have our true parents' arms around us, to have every hurt inside of us healed, and to be postured to do all that God's called us to do. Come on, if you're thankful for the romance and redemption of grace, Look God, now lift up your voice. It's only possible because of the name of Jesus.